This is Henry McCarthy of WEHC 90.7 coming to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College campus. And we're on the road today. We're in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I'm at the Wake Forest Library, and I'm with uh, Tanya Zanish-Belcher. And she is the director of Special Collections, and I'm telling you folks, they've got a rare book room here that is unbelievable. I have used it, and I wanted, I was telling Tanya that I wanted our listeners to uh, know something about rare books, and so that's what I'm doing here in the rare book room at Wake Forest University. So, Tanya, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Okay, well, I'm originally from Ohio. I'm a native Buckeye. Um, but I've moved around a lot through my career. I'm an archivist, um, and so my first job was at the Alabama Department of Archives and History, Montgomery, Alabama. Um, and I love Montgomery, still go down and visit every year. Um, but I got to work with all sorts of Civil War materials, uh, private papers, uh, motion picture films, photographs, all sorts of wonderful material. And then I decided to move north and I went to Iowa, where I was at Iowa State University. I was the head of special collections there for 18 years, and we focused mostly on agriculture. We had a million photographs, 50,000 motion picture films. It was a huge collection. We did a lot of outreach with students, um, local community groups, um, and a variety of folks. And so I always consider that my calling, in a sense, is people are sometimes scared of archives and they're scared of rare books and so one of my goals in life is to make people not be afraid of these materials. Um, a lot of times universities collect them because they want them to be used and to be seen and to be appreciated. And so I ended up here about six months ago. Well you have quite an interesting background and you're originally from Ohio, is that right? That's correct. So you grew up there and went to school there? I did. And, um, do you, do you, what kind of books did you like to read when you were growing up? Um, one of my, my two favorite authors in high school were Walt Whitman, Leaves of Grass. Um, and the other, I was a big Thoreau fan. Um, I read his journals over and over and over um, and really loved his concept of going out and living um, in the wilderness, even though he didn't do it for very long. Uh, but I loved reading. Um, those are probably 19th century American writers are probably what I was primarily interested in. Did you have a favorite teacher that influenced you, maybe one or two teachers? Mm -hmm. Probably in college. I went to Ohio Wesleyan University, which is a good liberal yes, arts yes. school. And um, I had several history professors there um, that I took classes on the Civil War, on medieval Europe. Um, and I really enjoyed being a history major. I don't know that um, my parents were a little concerned that I would never be able to find a job. but. Uh, I really loved being a history major and reading all sorts of primary materials and literature from the past. Well, and you also said, before we talk specifically about the rare book room mm -hmm. and your duties, you mentioned uh, being out west, you know a little bit about country music. And you know, in this area, uh, this is uh, what we call the big boom of country music, and this mm -hmm. is where the Carter family came from, and we talked a little bit about that earlier. But talk about how you got interested in country music. Well, it's funny. I had um, the opportunity to do, um, for my graduate school work, you had to do an internship. And my internship opportunity came from um, the Dayton, Ohio Fly Fishing Group. 
and they agreed to sponsor me and pay me, which was even more important, to go out and do my internship at the Museum of Fly Fishing, which was at that time located in West Yellowstone, Montana. Um, it's now located in Livingston, I think. And so I trekked out to West Yellowstone, Montana. I should add also that I was there during the summer of 1988. Uh, the summer of the fires, so I got to experience that as well. But how I got hooked on country music was West Yellowstone had one radio station, and the only music they had was country music, and so I learned to love it. And even now I have country music programmed on my radio um, in the car so I can listen to it. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now I want to talk specifically about the Rare Book Room. And first of all, why have a Rare Book um, room, why have archives? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good question because, um, you know, for many people they're seen as not being part of our modern life, you know, they're the past. But I am of the belief that the past informs the future. And so in many ways the books and papers of the past are kind of the collection of thoughts and dreams and things that people loved from the past. And it's important for us to appreciate them and kind of apply it to our life today. Um, and in fact, many times archives especially are used heavily by people coming back to do research. If you want to do a brochure, a lot of times you might need photographs of the past to illustrate your thoughts. Um, and I, so I think they play a role in modern life. Um, I think you only have to look at the interest in scrapbooking. People are interested in recording their experiences. And basically visiting a rare book room or looking at archives is kind of looking at people's experiences from the past and seeing them as people, not just stick figures that never really existed. Well, this is Henry McCarthy of WEHC 90.7 Poets and Writers, and we're talking with Tanya Zanish Belcher today uh, here at Wake Forest University in the rare book room. So. Tanya, tell us about some of the books you have in this rare book room. Mm -hmm. We have a wonderful collection. Um, we have about 60,000 volumes overall. Um, and one of the areas that we, are, we have a large collection of, which I won't talk about specifically, are, are, is Baptist collections. Because, of course, we are a Baptist. Originally, we were a Baptist institution. So we have a lot of documentation relating to Baptists in North Carolina. Uh, but more specifically, in terms of the liberal arts, we have some wonderful early works. Our earliest work dates back to the year 12, around 1240, which is a handwritten medieval manuscript that someone copied. It's um, a codex of, uh, let's see, Matthew and John um, bound together, and someone hand copied it. And so I, what I always like to do is when we get that out is to think about the labor that went into, before the advent of printing, copying word for word the Gospels and what that would involve. That's probably our earliest work. Um, my, other, my favorite earliest work is probably the Nuremberg Chronicle, which is a, a fairly famous um, publication from about um, 1490. Um, and basically what it was, since many people were not necessarily educated that went to church, this was a publication that was uh, used illustrations. So basically when you went to church, the priest could possibly use the illustrations to tell a religious story, especially if you didn't read and write. Basically it was a way to share um, religion um, and make sure that people understood what it was all about. 
We also have a lot of 19th and 20th century works, probably Irish literature is our um, strongest area, but we also have American writers, Walt Whitman, um, Charles Dickens, um, Langston Hughes, uh, but also we have the uh, several, many works by Yeats, W.B. Yeats, um, and other Irish authors as well. Well, I have to share this story. One reason that I'm a big fan of your rare book room in the library here, I uh, came in one day just in sort of a lackadaisical fashion, and you folks were so uh, open to my asking. I actually saw, uh, actually was able to look through a first edition of uh, Huckleberry Finn, a mm -hmm. uh, number of William Butler Yeats works, and so I was just, uh, I was touched by how open you were, mm -hmm. of course, to sharing that with me. So talk a little bit about the uh, Irish publications and so on here. There's a history at Wake Forest with the uh, Irish. Could you talk mm -hmm. about that? Um, in fact, the, the university press, the only thing that they do publish is Irish literature. And so it's an area, um, you know, a lot of times when you're talking about the creation of a rare book collection, there are two ways to get books, basically. They're either donated or they're purchased. And many of our earliest works, especially in Irish literature, were part of larger collections that were donated to us. Um, and it's really, it's incredibly large and probably the, the jewel at the, the crown is probably the Dolman Press Archive, which was an Irish press that published many of the Irish authors and we actually received that collection um, several years ago, which is also available. So it's just an incredible, incredible resource for anybody doing research in Irish literature. Well, and you publish Irish poets and Irish uh -huh. writers. Right. That, and I, I think you've had a number of Irish poets here on campus, and, and I've heard them read. Mm -hmm. Okay, now let's talk a little bit more about the hardest thing about being a um, director of special collections. What's, what's one of the more difficult things? Well, there are lots of, of challenges, but they're all, they're all fun challenges. Um, because I, as I always say, I got into this work because I like to make order out of chaos. Um, but basically, you know, probably one of the challenges is to make sure that we are sharing what we have collected with the public because otherwise there's just no reason to exist. And I think it's just getting yourself out there continually and making sure people know that, you know, we're not a scary place. You can come in and visit us. You can see this material and appreciate it. Um, you know, anybody can come in and do that and we want you to. And so it's just being creative about ways to digitize things, to make it available online, or to do events, or to do exhibits that will really help people understand what you have here and help them appreciate it too. That's probably the biggest challenge. Well, talk a little bit about rare books and identifying a rare book, mm -hmm. you know, because I've collected a few. I have a couple of uh, original um, first editions of Mark Twain. And I've dabbled in it a little bit, and sometimes people will come and say, I have this rare book because it's very, very old. But we know mm -hmm. that's not always the case. So talk a little bit about rare books, the quality, mm -hmm. what you look for when mm -hmm. somebody donates, and of course right. they can donate. 
they can donate. And there is actually a listing of criteria, and I will just briefly talk about a few of them. The other thing I would recommend that if uh, people have a book that they would like to have appraised or reviewed by someone, I usually refer them if, um, depending on where I am, I might know some personal, you know, personally some appraisers. But there's also the American Society of Appraisers. And if you go online, they have a geographic listing that will list potential appraisers that are in your area that you can talk to them about manuscripts or rare books or what you might have. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Age does not designate value necessarily. It actually relates more to scarcity and how difficult it is to get a copy. So many times the rare books that we might have in our collection, there would be no way for us to even purchase a copy because there, there are none. Um, and so that increases its value. So the more scarce it is, probably the more valuable it is. That's, that's probably one of the top criteria. Well, which leads me to my next question, and this is Henry McCarthy of Poets and Writers coming to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College campus. And we're on the road today at Wake Forest University in the Rare Book Room. So, how, so if I have a rare book, then, or if I have a collection that I want to give to you, how do I approach that? Um, usually what you will do is, you know, I would go ahead and contact if there is a special collections or an archives or a historical society nearby. I would contact their director and usually um, each institution will have what they call a collection development policy. And that tells exactly the kinds of things that they like to collect. Um, and so they will, you know, you can communicate with a director and see if what you have is something that they might want. And then they will work with you on that process to donate it to possibly sign of deed of gift. You may want to have the material appraised. Um, most institutions cannot do that them, themselves because that's a conflict of interest. So usually you have to have a third party. Um, and then there are some other, there's some other paperwork that you need to you know, go through. But usually the director will help you through that process. Okay, now we have young people listening to this program who want to get a career going. Uh -huh. So talk a little bit about your career and what you have to do to become, because this is a very important position, director of special collections. What do they have to do? Well, I was probably a little bit unique because I fell into this profession. Now you have, it's much more structured than when I was in school, which I won't say how many years ago that was. But I was a history major, and I remember graduating and talking to my professor about what I might do, and he suggested, well, you can go be a professor and teach. And I, I love to teach, but I thought, that's not exactly what I want to do. Um, and so I was kind of searching for something, and another professor said to me, well, have you ever thought about archives and museums? Like, no, I hadn't thought about it. I didn't know this was a possibility. Um, and at, there are a number of programs throughout the United States, primarily through either history departments or library schools, where you can specialize um, in archives or um, public history. And the minute I took my first class, I thought, this is what I was meant to do with my life. And I'm very, I feel very fortunate that I was able to find that um, and do something that I love coming to work every day. Which leads me to my next question, and I didn't make these questions out. So I have to, this, uh, this one was placed on my list to ask today, and this is, was the librarian stereotype. Mm -hmm. What, what is that about? You'll have to help me with that. Well, I think one of, the, one of the funny things about rare books and archives 
And this is true. We do have rules that people have to follow because, you know, a lot of times we don't allow food or drink or you can't use pen or, you know, there might be other people studying so you need to be quiet. And so I think that's where the stereotype comes from. And what I always tell people, the reason we have the rules is because we want to make sure this material is available for the next generation. You don't want to drop your cup of coffee on the Nuremberg Chronicle and then it's not available for someone 200 years down the road. So that's usually, I think that's where the stereotype comes from. And, um, and I try not to focus on rules per se. Although, you know, again, we always mm -hmm. have to protect the object, but our goal is it's that constant balance between use and preservation. And talk a little bit about accessibility in mm -hmm. terms of how, who uses it and how you get to use uh, the rare book room. Mm -hmm. Well, we are working to make sure that everything we have is cataloged in the library catalog, and then we also have an active digitizing program, so we're digitizing a lot of our materials. Usually when people come to our rare book room, they contact us in advance, um, but we will also pull the items you know, prior to their arrival. They fill out a registration card. We help them um, if they need help in handling the material. Um, and then we can also provide uh, digital scans of material if they request it as well. Well, again, as I said earlier, I can vouch for the accessibility because I came unannounced and you were so gracious and I've been back several times since then. I want to ask you a little bit about how you see the future of books and where we're going as uh, in, in, you know, we hear so many things about being, we're replacing books. So. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of an, it, we're in an interesting transition time period. I do think a lot more material is available online and certainly ebooks are coming in. But at the same time, I think because everything is online, people are actually more attached and they want to see an right. original. They want to touch it. Yeah. They want to see the leather binding. They want to hold it in their hand. And I think that in some ways, the original is just as strong as it ever was. Even as we make things more available online, people still want to see the actual object. And I, I think you're right. And of course, uh, I'm dating myself, um, but I like to feel and touch the book. And mm -hmm. I, I, I love the idea of having a library. There's a security in it that I, I'm, a, I'm a big uh, user of the iPhone now and, and Googling, and, and you can pick up so much information. But it's simply not the same of knowing it's staying in your room there. Right. Yeah. And that you can touch it and appreciate it and see something that I find it personally amazing that I can touch a book that is 500 years old and it's still in wonderful condition and you can appreciate that someone took the time to create it 500 years ago. This is Henry McCarthy, and we're on the road today in Winston-Salem, North Carolina at Wake Forest University in the Rare Book Room. And we have been interviewing Tanya Zanish-Belcher. And Tanya, it's been a pleasure interview talking with you today. And do you have any final comments for us out there? No, I'm just, I hope that people will think about archives and libraries. We're here to preserve the history of um, our communities. Um, and, you know, I know we don't think about this very much, but we eventually will be part of the past as well. And so that's something you all need to think about when you're taking photographs or creating scrapbooks. You want to make sure that those are preserved for your family members and your communities in the future. 
Tanya, I think that is uh, so important because in poets and writers, you know, we look for a place to share our ideas and share our poetry. And we also like to have a place to leave our little books and right. hopefully someone will come along and look at them. So this is Henry McCarthy saying, uh, we write poems in our hearts every day, but we're often afraid to share them. So send me a few lines to McCarthyHenry at, at Yahoo.com and we'll put them on. Have a great day and thank you so much, Tanya. Thank you. You've been listening to Henry McCarthy, Poets and Writers, WEHC 90.7, and that was Tanya Belcher. She is the director of Rare Books at Wake Forest University Library. So now we're going to listen to a little bit of Leonard Cohen, and I think that matches up real well. Tower of Song. So, Richard Graves, let's put some Leonard Cohen on here on Poets and Writers. It's not a complaint 
that you hear tonight It's not the laughter of someone who claims to have seen the lightning No, it's a cold and it's ever and only Hallelujah Before the Lord of Song With nothing 